You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Uh, what's going on, everybody? Revolution? Okay, I'm not going to do it twice. That's Dave's thing. Um, so, my name is Dustin Cooley. If I haven't met you yet, um, hey. So, um, you know, it, it's always a pleasure to get to stand up here and preach. So, with that being said, um, I'm going to apologize in advance because I have been told I'm kind of boring. Um, but I've also been told that it's okay because I don't preach for very long. So, um, <laughs> so there we go. Like We'll be done in like 10 minutes, but if you nod off, go ahead. Um, so, um, what I kind of want to talk about tonight um, is something that's, that's truly truly a part of the human experience. It's something all of us go through. Um, and it's not an easy thing uh, when we do. Um, but I, I just want to point out that we, we have hope biblically when we go through um, terrible things in our life and when we suffer. Um, you know, our, our series through Acts is the people of God. How do we uh, behave like the church? What is, is set forth in us in the book of Acts? How are we supposed to mimic that? And the, the sermon I want to to, to bring to you tonight is how do we become a people who suffer well? Because I think that's something that we don't necessarily focus on too much. We have, we have hope when we suffer. It's, it's not like we suffer meaninglessly. And I'd like to point out um, biblically through uh, the experiences of the Apostle Paul in, um, in the ending part of Acts um, how we can look to him and how we can focus on how Paul suffered uh, in light of the gospel and then take that with us out into our lives. Um, so buckle up because I'm about to um, rip through like 10 chapters of Acts. Sorry. <laughs> My Bible's falling apart. Neat. Um, it's just the maps. No one reads those. <laughs> like Caesarea, like I guess that's somewhere. It's not important important. All right, so we're going to start off tonight in Acts 21. Um, So just to kind of set the stage, what's happened leading up until this point? Um, Paul is meeting with with some members of the early church, and he tells them, I'm going back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem needs my help. He's taking an offering to them to help alleviate the poverty that they're, they're stricken with at this point. And a prophet in the early church comes to Paul and he rips Paul's belt off and he binds his own hands and feet with it and says, the Holy Spirit has revealed to me that the owner of this belt will be bound this way in Jerusalem. And what Paul says is, not only am I ready to be imprisoned for Christ, I'm also ready to die for Christ. Um, So against um, the warnings of of the early church, um, against the the warnings of the Gentiles that he was, was with, Paul decides it better to go to Jerusalem. So when our story starts, Paul is meeting with um, the um, with James, uh, the leader of the Jerusalem church, um, and James is is telling Paul, "The Jews here don't like you. the 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 rumor is that you're telling people not to follow the law. 
um, you're teaching them that the law is worthless, that the law doesn't matter, which we, we know is a false accusation because Paul tells people, you know, the law is what reveals sin to us. The law is what breaks us and points us back to the gospel. So James tells Paul in Acts 21, 23, here's what we want you to do. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are false and you yourself observe Jewish law. Um, so moving forward into verse 26. So Paul went to the temple, and the next day with the other men, they had already started the purification ritual, so he had publicly announced the date of their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. The seven days were almost ended with some of the Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused the mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish law. He speaks against the temple, and he defies the holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier they had, that day, they had seen in the city with uh, he had wait they had seen him in the city with uh, Trophimus, a uh, Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple immediately, and the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment. Uh, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound, by two cha- bound with two chains. He asked the crowd uh, who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth uh, in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, uh, the soldiers had to lift him onto their shoulders to protect him, and the crowd followed behind, shouting, kill him, kill him. So what we have here is Paul, um, in hopes of alleviating the poverty of the the Jewish church in Jerusalem, and... um, you know, trying to show his devotion to God and his love for the temple and the law of God to these Jews, he's falsely accused of doing the exact opposite. Um, and I think we, we've all been there. We've all had our motives questioned, and uh, we've all had instant, not necessarily bound with two chains and almost beaten to death and arrested, but I, mean, I think we can all relate it in some way to this passage. Um, so... Moving forward, Paul is standing um, in front of the, of the Roman palace there in Jerusalem, and he asks the people arresting him, can I, can I talk to my accusers? Uh, so he addresses them in Hebrew and says, Brothers and esteemed fathers, this is starting in chapter 22, Paul said, Listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As a student, um, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way. The way, um, meaning the, it was the, the name of the early church, um, and and I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. 
for I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors had chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by the calling on the name of the Lord. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry up, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when, they, when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. The Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul, or listened until Paul said that word. But they began to shout, Away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They just threw the, off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. So Paul is telling the truth here. We know this from, from the series we've been in before. We've, we've talked about the fact that um, Paul's miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, we have talked about how Paul was faithful to those Gentile Christians and um, you know, was, was commissioned by Christ to spread the gospel to the whole world. And this is what the Jews should have seen. They should have seen this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah, that all the world will be united by, by him. Um, but their, their hearts were blinded. They couldn't see it, so they continued to say, Paul has to die, just as they were, con- you know, were blinded when, when Christ said the same things. Um, they couldn't take it, so they wanted to silence the ones who made them uncomfortable. So what happens after this is they're taking Paul away, and they're going to beat him with whips. And Paul, um, being a Roman citizen, uh, played that card. He said, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? See, here's, Paul is trying to, you know, use what he has um, to save himself, um, to save himself from an unjust punishment. So uh, the Roman guard there sees that, well, Paul is a Roman citizen, and he takes him to um, the Roman tribune named Lysias. Um, but before that, Paul is, is um, tried before the Jewish high council. And in chapter 23, it says, gazing intently at the high council. Starting in verse 5, I'm sorry, brothers. I, well, no, that's the wrong verse. Wrong sorry. Um, so Paul is before Annas, the high priest. Um, and again, he is receiving an unjust trial. Um, Annas is commanding him to be beat while he's speaking, while he's giving his defense. And... Um, Paul is left in prison. 
Um, but that night, starting in uh, verse 11, it said, That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Now, what follows after this um, would be confusing to any of us. Because if Christ said, You're going to Rome. Or you know, if Christ said, You're going to go here to this place and preach my gospel. But the answer we would be expecting is like, cool, like, can you take these chains off? I'll go now. Um, but what Paul goes through between there and Rome would have left any of us feeling hopeless. But Paul just had to hold on to the promise that Christ had told him, you will preach the gospel in Rome as well. Um, so in the middle of chapter 23, it says, The next morning a group of Jews got out and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. So we have people still conspiring to kill him. And what they are planning to do is ambush Paul as he is on his way to his trial. Um, so Lysias sees um, that this is going to happen. Paul's nephew overhears this and runs back and tells Paul. Paul says, go to Lysias, tell him they're planning to kill me. So Lysias sends him under heavy guard to um, the Roman governor named Felix. Uh, and Felix says, I will hear your case when your accusers arrive. Um, then the governor ordered him to keep him in prison in Herod's headquarters. And then five days later, um, this is, we have this, uh, chapter 24, verse 2, when Paul was called in, um, Tertullius, uh, a man sent by Annas, um, presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. He says, you have provided a long period of peace for us Jews, and with foresight you have enacted reforms for us. For all of this, Your Excellency, we are very grateful to you. So here we see a representative of the high priest coming to a Roman governor who are oppressing the people, belittling the law of God, um, telling him, thank you. Like, we're glad you're here. You're bringing about all, all sorts of reforms for our nation. But that's not how it should have been. As the high priest, Annas should have known, there are no reforms. We're governed by God. We're not governed by Caesar. But in order to get what they want, they're selling out their own faith to the Roman Empire to ensure that Paul is killed. But he says, I don't want to bore you, with, uh, bore you, so please give me your attention for only a moment. We have found this man to be a troublemaker who constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when they arrested him. You can find out the truth um, of our accusations by examining him yourself. Then the other Jews chimed in, declaring what Tertullius said was true. And then Paul gives his defense. He said, My accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple, nor stirring up a riot in any synagogue or, the, or on the streets of the city. But I admit that I follow, um, follow the way. This is verse 14. Chris, do you have it? Um, but I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I will try to maintain a clear conscience before all the people. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple, and I was completing a purification ceremony. There was no crowd around me and no rioting, but some Jews of the province of Asia were there, and they ought, wait, and they ought to be here to uh, bring charges if they have anything against me. 
Ask these men here what crime the Jewish high council has found me guilty of, except for the one time I shouted, um, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection for the dead. So Paul gives his defense. He's like, these accusations are not true. I didn't do any of this. The only thing I've done that they're saying I do is I follow Christ. Um, so what happens after Paul says, uh, I'm on trial for you here today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Um, Felix um, orders his officers to keep Paul in custody and give him some freedom, says, um, and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. So Felix throws Paul in prison after Paul had given his defense, saying, I'm not guilty. They can't find me guilty. But what we need to know about Felix is where uh, Tertullius had said, like, you're a good governor. We enjoy having you here. He was actually known as a very, very wicked governor. He was known to take bribes. Um, He was not very well liked. Um, So as he's throwing Paul in prison, he sends for Paul back often. Let me hear your case. Tell, Tell me what you said again. Just hoping to bribe Paul. And this happens for two years. Paul's left in prison for two years and extorted over and over and over and over. Imagine how, how shaming that must have been, how, um, how any of us would have, would have caved under the pressure or um, changed our story to be publicly mocked and ridiculed for the gospel. And then um, verse 27, said, And Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jews, so he left Paul in prison um, for even longer. And then when Felix's reign as governor was up, uh, a man named Festus steps in. And the same old story happens again. Uh, the Jews go to Festus and they're like, hey, um, we like you. Uh, we know you want us to like you, so give us Paul. And you know they're planning on ambushing him again as he's on his way back to Jerusalem. And Festus you know, in full agreement, yeah, you know, I'm the new governor here. I want order where I'm at. I want to look good. So um, he goes to Paul and says, these men are bringing accusations against you. I'll hear your case. Let's go back. Um, But Paul understood this is a mock trial. I'm going to be killed. Um, I want to go to Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen. I have that right. I want to go to Caesar. So we have um, Festus going back to his council and, and hearing Paul's rights and comes back to him and said, if you want to go to Caesar, I'll send you to Caesar. So he sends Paul back to prison. And as he's waiting, um, another king named Agrippa um, comes in. And this is starting in um, chapter 26. What happens? Uh, Festus and Agrippa meet. And Festus is like, I'm really confused about this. Um, I don't understand Um, all of these religious laws. I don't understand why this man is being tried. Um, Maybe you can hear his case and tell me what you think. So um, Agrippa agrees, and in chapter 26, it starts out, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know that you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people in in Jerusalem. 
If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I'm on trial because my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they um, share the same hope I have. Yet, Your Majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does this seem incredible to you, uh, to any of you, that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison and cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues uh, to get them to curse Jesus. I was so viciously or violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, I was on the road, a light from heaven, uh, brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We fell down and heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's, it is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, uh, Lord, I asked. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you um, to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world that you, uh, what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. I am sending you to the Gentiles uh, to open their eyes so that they may turn from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness from their sins and begin to place um, among God's people uh, who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed the vision from heaven, and I preached to those in Damascus, and then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they must repent from their sins and turn to God, and prove that they have changed uh, by the good things that they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time, so that I can testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and the Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, and in this way announced God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, are you insane? Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth, and King Agrippa knows about these things. I can speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, and that uh, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can, so, you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray, God, or pray to God um, that both you and everyone here in this audience may become the same as I am, except for these chains. Then uh, the king, the governor, Bernice, and all those who uh, stood and left, and when they uh, talked it over and agreed, this man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. So Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free had he, he, hadn't he appealed to Caesar. So we have Paul faithfully still proclaiming the gospel um, to the people who have the power to condemn him to death, telling them the most offensive message, that the only way to heaven is through Christ, um, that our righteousness counts as nothing. And he said, look to the prophets, see that. See, see that what I believe is true about the Messiah. Um, and Agrippa said he would have been free hadn't he appealed to Caesar. Now think about this. How would Paul have felt in that moment? How would you have felt 
if, um, if you know you would have been set free after like close to three years in prison. And you played the only card you had to not die in the moment was to go to Caesar. And then they said, well, we would have let you go hadn't you done that. I mean, I would have felt hopeless. And I think anybody else would have too. And it just goes to show, show the humanity of Paul in that moment. So later on in, in chapter 27, Paul sets sail to Rome and uh, a storm occurs and the ship is blown to pieces. Um, he's adrift at sea for a while and then they end up on an island named, uh, called Malta. Paul's stranded there for, I believe it's close to three months. Um, at one point, he's bitten by a poisonous snake. Uh, through the miraculous power of God, he didn't die. Um, so uh, during the storm... Paul stops um, and says that he's seen a vision of Christ telling him that the ship is going to be destroyed, but everyone is going to live uh, because Paul has to go to Rome. He has to go to Rome. He has to preach to Caesar. He has to end up there because it's what Christ commanded. So um, the Acts ends with Paul in prison in Rome. And Luke records in Acts that Paul was there for two years, preaching to those uh, coming and going freely. Um, so from start to finish, we have Paul in prison anywhere from four to probably six years. You know, and Christ had just commanded, like, you're going to Rome. Paul didn't know how he was going to get there. He didn't know what, I mean, it would have been easy for God to just say, go to Rome. Not suffering as much as he did on the way. So while in prison, Paul did a majority of his writing. Paul wrote... Um, the letters of um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Second Timothy, um, I believe maybe Philemon. Um, but I think Philippians gives us a beautiful picture into Paul's mentality while he was in prison. So um, I'm going to turn to Philippians for a minute, and then we can kind of look over, um, over what Paul's hope was in and what Paul had, knew he had in store. Um, so Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. He says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, uh, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost, anyth- on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty uh, with plenty or little, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul is still relying on Christ here. Paul is relying on the, on the hope that Christ has given him. Like, you're going to Rome. So through this entire um, suffering of Christ, through the, his entire imprisonment, he was not without hope because he knew, I'm going where Christ has commanded me to go. I'm remaining faithful. So whatever I need, Christ is going to supply it because this is his will. And I think too often we, we get that, that verse completely ripped out of context. Like Goodness knows we've seen it tattooed on enough athletes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody probably has a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or something. I guarantee it. Um, but the, the, the hope in that is that we can suffer well. We, we can suffer because we know our strength comes from Christ. Um, so now I'm going to flip over to Romans 8 and show how how this can be applied to our day-to-day lives, um, how we can suffer well in light of 
of all of this pain, all of these things that we go through, because I, I know we all go through it. Um, so in Romans 8, starting in verse 28, it says, where am I at? Sorry. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chose them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Um, won't he give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us the right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. There's our hope when we suffer. That all things work together for good. That all thing are, things are working together for the benefit of the kingdom. That my suffering and your suffering is working some mysterious way in us to conform us to the image of Christ. Paul said, uh, I believe it was in Colossians, that when I suffer, it's conforming me to the image of Christ. It's making me more like him because he suffered. And if he suffered, I have to suffer. Because it's the ultimate goal is to be like Christ. The goal of the Christian life is not uh, to be a good person. It is not to be pious. It's not to um, go to a really awesome church uh, with the world's greatest praise band. Um, Dave laughed. Whatever. Um, it's going to be your next church, Brandon. <laughs> um, so... So we hold on to this hope when we suffer. We hold on to the hope that, that through, through cancer, through criticism, through heartbreak, through um, poverty, through hunger, that all of this is, is in some beautiful way conforming us to Christ. It's not worthless. Suffering is never worthless. And holding on to this hope here, holding on to what Paul has said in Romans 8, what the Holy Spirit has said through Paul, is what empowers us to not only have comfort when we suffer, but to also comfort those through their suffering and to comfort them through our own suffering. Um, so, Paul wrote his letter um, to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy. Um, it's kind of debated when he wrote this, but he was in prison in Rome when he wrote it. It's debated whether it was in uh, Acts 28 or if it was later on that he was thrown in prison again. But Paul... Um, was in prison under the reign of Emperor Nero, who we know was one of the fiercest, most brutal emperors of all of Rome. Um, but, but what does Paul say to Timothy? I mean, he's encouraging him the other time, the whole time. Let's see if I can remember my Bible well enough to find Second Timothy. Um, he said... So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either. Even though I'm in prison for him, 
with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and calls us to be or to live a holy life. He did this because we de- uh, He did this not because we deserved it, but because this was His plan from the beginning, um, to show us His grace through Christ. And now He has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of our Lord Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life um, and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the good news. That is why I'm suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. So through this entire letter, Paul is encouraging Timothy, you're going to suffer. Suffer well. Suffer for Christ. Because no, you're not without hope. And Paul's situation seemed hopeless from the outside. In, in the end of Second Timothy, he, he tells Timothy, when you come, will you bring my coat? Something to read and something to write on? I don't have anybody else. Luke is here with me, but that's it. The, the father of the entire Gentile church, uh, the apostle uh, chosen by Christ, one of the most famous men throughout all of history, writes a letter and said, we bring my coat? I don't have anyone. But I have hope in Christ. I have hope that one day all of this is going to be made right at the appearing of Christ. That I'm going to look at his face and I'm going to know it was worth it. I'm going to know that my hopeless, cold nights, I'm going to know that my hunger, that the death that I faced around me, that the sickness, the disease, for everyone that sinned against me, is worth it. Because in the end I get Christ. And all of these things, all of these things brought me to a place where I could more appreciate that. The more I could see the beauty in his face. And the more I become to look like him. We're made in the image of the one we love through suffering. So I hope you can find hope in that. That whatever we go through it's not worthless. It's not hopeless. Because in the end we get Christ. Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we find hope there. That is the source of all good things. It is the source of every beautiful revelation it is our hope when we suffer. It's our hope when we, when we are abounding in grace and can't contain our joy. It's the source of our hope when we lament deeply, feel as if the whole world is coming to a close. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the hope that we find there to be conformed into his image, God. Give us hope when we suffer. Let us be a people who suffer well for you. I ask all of these things in no other way that I can, but in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.